It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Jay Crawford, Adam the Bull, Garrett Bush, and so many big names, it would take me hours to say all of their names. The ultimate Cleveland sports show. Booyah! It is a jam-packed show today on a Tuesday. Earl the Pearl <laughs> behind the booth. Mikey McNuggets in the host chair. We got Jersey Jason Lloyd to my right in his Rutgers shirt. Rutgers. How was Jersey? Real quick. Phenomenal. We had a great time. Too quick. Long way to go for three days, but it was great. Great stage. G. Bush, how you doing this morning? Yeah, man. I'm chilling. I ain't doing nothing. I'm just drinking my monster. All right. Well, we have chilling. such a packed show to get to, but we have some breaking news this morning we have to touch on. Real, real quick, it came out less than an hour ago, but Bronny James had to go or had to be rushed to the ICU yesterday after suffering a cardiac arrest in USC's practice facility. It happened around 9.26 in the morning, according to reports. And since then, he has been released from the ICU. So it seems like Bronny James is doing better. But guys, this kid's 18 years old, one of the top high school athletes in the entire country, regardless of sport. And to see this happen, or to hear that it happened, kind of makes you take a step back and, and reevaluate everything. What happened to him, it could happen to anybody. It's terrifying. And my first thought went to LeBron as the dad. Like, I just can't imagine being a dad of a 21-year-old and a 13-year-old boy athletes and 11-year-old daughter. I can't imagine. Like, when you are a physical specimen like he is and the family genes and everything else, the last thing you're worried about is your son going into cardiac arrest at 18 years old. Horrifying. My heart breaks for the family. Hope for a full recovery. Basketball and all that obviously becomes secondary. Uh, but just well wishes for a speedy recovery for Bronny. And, you know, my thoughts go out to the entire family. I mean, these, well, these guys are superstars, and we look at them differently. They're still human beings, and he's still a dad, and Savannah's still a mom. And Bryce and Zuri are still brothers and sisters. And that is just as traumatic for them as it is for any other family. It's, it's heartbreaking. So really hope Bronny uh, pulls through this. And he's out of ICU. He's stable now. So hopefully... Uh, it's all good things ahead, but just a really scary incident. Yeah, it's it's that's really a, a tough. You know, McNuggets just told me this morning. I was like, "What? What do you, what do you like? Like who?" And they, Earl and him were talking back and forth, like Bronny James. And I heard heard it. And I'm like, "Nah, you, that's, it's almost like it's impossible." Like you just think, like you said, Jason. Like that's LeBron James' kid. Like he, you know, obviously, you know, he has the best of world class staff, nutrition. And they have physicals. You know that. Before you're allowed on the court, you have to have a physical. You got to have to do physicals, and they get double-checked and triple-checked. And it's just – and like you said, when you're 18 years old, that's the scary part about it because you're thinking, like, okay, if you're 41, you're my age, you're Jason's age, you you know, we get sedentary, we eat bad food. No one's going to be surprised if I follow up. <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially if they look at our party and she, like, they're like, okay, what were you doing in 2002? Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Like, oh, it's that, I can, I can understand. So, like, but not just, just on a serious note, but just the simple fact that, like, 
He's that young. He's 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 in a top peak physical performance, uh, type top shape. Just for that to happen, you know, any I don't have any children yet, but you know, Jason, you you do, and that's just you know, God forbid, you know, thinking about if you get that kind of news, you like you say what? Yeah. What you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just it's just rough, man. And you said it before the show, G, and I think you put it best in. Wealth can't buy health. It doesn't matter who you are. That's it doesn't right. matter how much money you have. This kind of stuff can happen to anybody, and that's yeah. what makes it so terrifying on certain levels. And obviously, we're hoping for a speedy and full recovery for Bronny James. And from all reports, it does seem like he's on the right track to getting back to being healthy, and, and that's what we're hoping for because he does have a bright basketball future ahead, but take basketball out of anything else. He's just a bright future ahead. He right. seems like he's a, a pretty good kid with a good head on his shoulders and is, has been brought up the right way. So... Uh, Bronny, we're praying for you here from UCSS, and we hope it all pans out well. Earl, what's up? Yeah, man, just to put my closing thoughts on it, you know, I'm a dad as well, and everybody knows, you know, my my daughter uh, wants to pursue, you know, being a surgeon, a cardiac surgeon. I don't know the proper terminology, so forgive me, but, you know, my father passed away from a heart attack, and unfortunately, I, I have known of other young athletes who suffered cardiac arrest, um, and it's unfortunate, you know, so... All you can do is just take care of yourself the best way that you can. But sometimes, even when you take care of yourself and you're young and healthy, things happen. And um, all you can do is just live every day to your fullest and just try to put your best foot forward because you just really never know. Anything can happen to anybody at any given time. Like Jason alluded to, you know, these people are still human beings. You all hear me speak to it all the time. You know, they're humans, just like you and I. So definitely prayers up to the entire James family. Um, as we move forward, Mike, we are going to debut something right now in yes. honor of Jim Brown, but to also count down to the Cleveland Brown season. Talk about it. Yeah, so we were thinking after the news of Jim Brown's passing earlier, what, what could we do as a show to kind of honor Jim Brown as we head into this 2023 season? And Jim Brown, we all know, wore number 32. So we figured as a production team, we would count down and rank the 32 most important people in the Browns facility for the upcoming 2023 season. We're going to go one by one, day by day, with the 32 shows leading up to the final show before their week one matchup against Cincinnati. You guys, you know what today is? 32 days out from our final show leading up to their week one game against Cincinnati. So it's time to debut the first of our 32 and 32 series, and that is number 32, which is rookie receiver Cedric Tillman. Earl, Anthony, and myself all ranked the guys 1 through 32. We averaged them out, and we came up with our ranking. So the 32nd most important player, in our opinion, for the upcoming season for the Browns is Cedric Tillman. I'll give you why we think so. We're curious on your thoughts. We'll keep it quick, then we'll move on. But we made these rankings before we found out the Marquise Goodwin news, Mm -hmm. the Amari Cooper tweak, the Anthony Schwartz news. So maybe, in hindsight, he should have been a little higher. Mm -hmm. But the depth in the receiver room is getting thinner and thinner, even if Cooper's injury is a minor tweak right now. We, we expect him to be back. And if Godwin's not there, if Schwartz isn't there, if Jakeem Grant isn't who we think he was before the Achilles tear, there's a really good shot that Cedric Tillman's getting legitimate, consistent snaps in this Browns offense, and especially down in the red zone, which is where I think he can make a major impact. He was a fourth-round pick, an all-SEC player at Tennessee, and he's a big-bodied receiver who, when things are right and he's healthy, which hasn't always been the case throughout his college career, The dude's been an impact player. So I'm not going to expect too much from a rookie receiver learning a brand new offense with all the other weapons that the Browns have at their disposal. But I do expect Cedric Tillman to be 
at least some 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 semblance of a effective and important factor on this offense this year. Is that Thir- crazy? No, thirty two probably feels about right. I mean, you figure eleven and eleven is twenty two, kicker punter. 24, some 25. Coaches. So, yeah, okay, coaches. So, you're getting down into the backup area here. So, 32 is probably right. I don't have high expectations at all for him this year. I hope he surprises. But just given this team's recent history of mid-round receiver picks, I don't know how you could go into the year thinking Tillman's going to have a big year. David Bell, Anthony Schwartz, we could go on. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be just like them. Uh, but I'm just trying to be realistic in expectations. I do think there's a spot for him in this offense. I've talked about that. Red zone targets, you mentioned. Some of them go high point the ball. DPJ has done that at times. I think that there's room for improvement, though. Uh, he's missed a couple that I thought he should have had, and maybe Tillman can be that that option, uh, particularly down in the red zones. So I'm curious to see. I'm interested to see him. And, you know, there's two receivers coming out of Tennessee right around the same spot. The Browns like Tillman. I can't remember. Who's the other one? I can't Jaylen remember. Jalen Hyatt. Yeah, the yeah, took. yeah, yeah, yeah. They say Now, of course, they're going to say it now. They said they, they had Tillman higher anyway. Uh, even even though Hyatt went earlier. And so we'll see. Uh, there's always room at receiver. I think we've seen that. The injuries, attrition throughout the NFL, hamstring strains, whatever. Guys are going to go down. Tillman's going to get his opportunity, and hopefully he can deliver. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kind of, you know, cautiously optimistic, like Jason said. And I look at it like this. Um, you know, I like Jalen Hyatt a little bit, little bit better because – He's faster. Um, you know, Brown said, I think the Giants went up and grabbed him two picks before. Or it might have been a one pick one before. Pick before. Um, so, you know, they just let it, they, you know, let the, they let the draft and the board come to him. So, you know, Tillman can do some some things. I mean, when he's healthy, he's shown that some flashes of, of a guy that can high point the ball, be physical. Um, but I do think that we're going to see him play this year. And I think he's going to have to play. Uh, you know, the third round picks, uh, Bell and Schwartz have not had, um, you know, had not had the impact that we would have liked to have as, as third round picks. And then you talk about guys like Demetri Felton, who was, is, you know, Kevin Stefanski earlier this morning um, talked about, you know, Demetri is, is mainly running as a running back. They're not using him so much as a, as a receiver. So, um, you know, you got Harley Jr. and a couple other guys. Um, but, you know, and I think Isaiah Weston, the guy they had before who has some speed, he ended up retiring um, because of injury. So, um, yeah, he's going to get an opportunity to play. I'm not sure what is, he, whether he's going to have a great year. I, don't, I wouldn't expect him to come out like a game buster or anything. But I do believe that, you know, he has some skill sets. And we'll see if Deshaun Watson – because that's what – when you get a good quarterback yeah. – yeah. The quarterback chooses who's his, who his guy is, right? Yeah. Like, if it's third down, I'm going to find this dude. I'm going to find this yep. guy. Who, and we've yet to see who that guy is, but we'll, I'm, I'm sure we'll see it. And he's 32 on our list. We're not expecting him yeah. to come out, you know, haul in 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. 32 is obviously the lowest number on our list. So let me give you this, and we'll, we'll move on. But if I told you Cedric Tillman would catch 30 passes for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Take I'd it. take that in a second. In a second. Would you take the over or under on that if that was the projection? Under. Yeah, I would take the under on that. But if and, get, and, and all three of those. 30 yes. catches, 400, four touchdowns. I mean, 30 catches is, what, a catch and a half-ish a, a game. game? How many yards? 400. 30 yards a game, give or take. Th- yeah. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'll just take the four touchdowns. Like, if you can give me four touchdowns in the red zone, that's what I'm... If you say he can give you four... I think that's his biggest impact is in the red zone. If you say Bell can give you four, he can give you four... That's one guy. That's eight touchdowns between the two of them. That's how I look at the second team guys. Like, what can I get accumulated from a bunch of these guys that, that are young guys? Last thing we'll move on, and this is why I love G. He just said if we get four from Tillman and four from David Bell, we are back in Deshaun Watson's throne for 68 touchdowns. Oh, this 70. Year. If, we're getting, 70. if we're getting eight between those two, then we are eight. in oh MVP my. territory. 6,000 yards, 70 touchdowns, no interceptions. 70, 70 77, 77 <laughs> touchdowns. Look, that's that five, listen, 5,000. I'm telling you, bro, we creeping. If uh. I had to go over under on any of those, I think the touchdowns is where I'd go a little over. I, I do think between the 20s, even as his biggest impact, his biggest impact is going to come down when they're in the red zone. He's a 6'3", 215-pound receiver yeah. who's really good at high-pointing the football. And you look at across the Browns roster, there was a video they tweeted out yesterday of Amari Cooper working with Elijah Moore. Cooper's not a big guy. He towered Elijah Moore. Yeah. I didn't realize, I didn't, and this I is not a know, knock on Moore, because he's, he's not – He's not necessarily a slot guy. He's not an outside guy. He's a shifty guy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be big to be shifty. He can be super effective without being big. But I didn't realize that he was the stature that he appeared to be in that video. And I don't think DPJ is great at high-pointing the football. So I think that's where Tillman comes in. And you see that video, too. Or am I over? No, no, no. I, when I saw it, I thought, I was like, wow. Like, I'm going to or I'm gonna send you this video just really, in case. He's really short. He's really close to the ground. Like, he's really close to, like, he is really. I live in that world, G. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's a different perspective. The football even looked bigger. I said, how is he catching that football? And to me, his catch rate, I love guys with catch radius because sometimes the one thing I used to hate when we used to watch the old school Browns was we had Jarvis and Odell and we had Baker. Mm-hmm. All of them was like low key the same height. So Baker either could get the ball knocked down into the line of scrimmage <laughs> or Jarvis could have 96 people all over him. And it just would seem like their catch radius never gave any room for air. I like to throw the ball and be like, oh, he can go get that over here, here over here. And I'm got to be perfect. But yeah. he, Elijah Moore is kind of cis stature to alarm me a little bit. So that is Cedric Tillman. He is number 32 in our 32 for 32 series. We will reveal number 31 tomorrow and continue to lead up to the Browns. First game week one against Cincinnati. What's up, Earl? All right, before we move on to our Donovan Mitchell uh, conversation, we got breaking news this yeah. morning. More breaking news this morning. Uh, Boston Celtics guard Jalen Brown. This is insane. Uh, agreed to a five-year, $304 million extension. The richest contract ever signed in the NBA. Thoughts? I gave him. This is insane. I like Jalen Brown a lot, a lot. Three hundred million for Jalen Brown is bonkers. I agree. But this is where contract, like we talked about it a couple weeks ago in free agency, this is where contracts are going. Wait a couple years, like they're all going to look like this. But this feels totally insane. Four for Jalen. Jalen Brown. Brown. Yeah. Is Jalen Brown a top twenty guy in the NBA? Probably not. If he is, he's in that 19, 19, 18, 18, 18 to twenty-two. Range. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. And he was getting the ball. And for a guy who can't really dribble like that, he's giving the ball, take it from him. I'm like, 
Jalen Brown, what are you doing? It, it is abs- now two things to keep in mind. The salary cap goes up 10% every year. So 30.4 million or whatever the it's more than 30, 60, 60. million or whatever looks like an unsurmountable number in today's cap. When that kicks in next year, 60 million is going to be a much smaller percentage of the cap. However, that's effing absurd. Yeah. That is a guy who is in my opinion not capable of making a first team all NBA team. I don't think he'll ever be a top That's a good point. 1 2 frankly 3 4 5 best forward in the league. Now he made second team all NBA this year, but that's because Kevin Durant didn't play enough games, LeBron didn't play enough yeah. games, guys rested. He's not top 5 at his position. How are you going to pay a guy 300 million dollars if he's not even top 5 at his own position? And, and he, I get you have to. The Celtics don't have a choice. This is how you retain but your core. I, I, but that makes no sense. I mean, I know you have to, but, like, that's a terrible But deal. don't him and Tatum play the same position? They just be acting like they don't. Kind of, like, yes, and they're both wings. Basketball's positionless yeah. anymore. So, so I'd take five of those dudes, honestly. I mean, but I not at $60 million. Yeah, yeah. Not, that's and, and, okay, well, what is Tatum getting there? So Tatum is eligible for a Supermax next year. So, so he's going to get 310. He's going to get more than, than Brown, which is why the issue now for the Celtics is you're paying two guys at minimum $60 million and 135, $140 million cap room. So 45% of your salary is now tied up with two. And Chris Porzingis is getting 20-something million. So now next year, heading to next season when Tatum signs his Supermax, you have Jalen Brown at $60 million, Tatum at 62, 63-ish, and you have... Uh, Porzingis making 20-something, and your salary cap's, what, 150-something next year? Yeah. I mean, they're going to blow through the second. They're going to blow through the second apron with, like, four guys. Yeah. I, I'll be – has anyone paid the second apron? I think they've all stayed out of it, have they not? Or where's well, Go- it goes in this year, so. No, I know. But Golden State – I'm trying to think where Golden State is. I think when they when they moved uh, – Cool, they got cool. under it. They got, they under, got it. under it, yeah. So I'm curious to see – like Boston may be the first team to pay the second apron. Yeah. I don't see how they get out of it now at this point. I, I mean, and then I don't – I know you got to retain your guys and they didn't have any other options, but they, it's not like they pay dividends. It's not like Jalen Brown and, and Tatum have gotten championships. Now, they've gotten close, right? They've been to the finals. Um, last year, everyone would agree it was kind of a disappointment. So even when you give me Porzingis, uh, you give me Jalen Brown and Tatum, I don't know if those three guys are even in the ballpark of winning the championship. On paper, it looked cool, but what happens if Porzingis is hurt? Well, I, I mean, I didn't like that trade. We talked about that. I thought they were better off with Marcus Smart. That may be the minority opinion. I know Mikey was saying I disagree, you know, but he, he slipped defensively. But they have an abundance of the most important position, which is wings. You've got to have wings. It's what the Cavs have gone up against for a number of years, not having wings. Boston has them in spades. The Thunder has. That's how they play. That's what the Nets do now with just wings, wings, wings. So I think they have the right formula, but you're right. Like, it hasn't translated. That's why it's so hard to win in the NBA. I talked about this before. The Thunder drafted three MVPs and didn't win a championship. Same squad. Crazy. Three MVPs on the same team. One final. One final, no championships. That's how hard it is to win in the NBA. That's crazy. That is ridiculous. You know, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I, maybe they're looking at it like from this standpoint. Look, people expect Philadelphia to fall off. I think people expect Philly to take that kind of drop a little bit, and it makes it even more difficult for teams like the Cavs, right? Because the Cavs are like, okay, well, Philly's going to take a little step back. We don't even know if we believe. We never really believed in the Hawks. 
maybe we just we, we caught the Knicks when we were younger and didn't understand what type of time it was. We think we got better talent than they do. So now it's like, okay, we got Donovan Mitchell. How do we how do we project where we could be next year? Because next year's the pivotal year. And they're thinking like maybe if we keep them around, maybe we can get out of the East and try to make some noise in, in the Eastern Conference that this moving and shaking. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because yesterday, Tim Von Temps on a podcast, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, was kind of asked about Donovan Mitchell. And do we want to play the clip from said podcast of Tim Bontemps speculating on the future of the Cavs superstar shooting guard? Yeah, let's do that right now, then we can talk about it. Uh, Steve, take it. This is a minute, 27 seconds long, by the way. But this is kind of a make-or-break year for the Cavs. I don't – do you think he You think he signs an extension right now? I think Not there's no chance year. he signs – I don't think there's no, any either. chance he signs an extension there ever. And if it was up to me, I would trade Donovan Mitchell today because I don't think the Cavs are getting – as far as they hope to next year. And I don't think he's going to extend. And I think they'll get a lot more for him with two summers left than they will with one summer left. Now, I also am fully aware that's not what they're going to do. And I understand why they're not going to do it because you perfectly laid out, I think, McMahon, what their thought process was making the deal and where they sit. And I think that's exactly what they're going to do. But me personally, looking at it, I think it's more likely they lose in the first round than they win two rounds. And in that scenario, I don't really see any world where Donovan Mitchell wants to stay there after next season. And to me, I'd be looking at it now and saying, all right, well, if we flip him for a bunch of stuff now, we can start to figure out exactly the kind of team we want to have around these three guys and put ourselves in as good a position as possible three or four years and out of contend. Now, I understand anybody thinking otherwise. Small when Donovan doesn't extend. And I'm sure he'll get asked about it at media day, and I'm sure he'll have a very good answer and maybe even a hedge answer, and um, that'll be interesting. But he is—he knows how to handle these situations before. He handled it before in Utah. I don't expect him to make any proclamation. I expect him to kick the ball down the field. So, Jason, those are your guys. I know you know Wendy very well. You told us before that you've used Tim Bontemps' bathroom before, so you're very familiar with Tim. <laughs> no, I did not use his bathroom, but I continue. So <laughs> you were the first one out of anyone, not just here, but – in yeah. the country to even reference or make note, make light of the fact that Donovan Mitchell may not be interested in staying here long-term. So when you hear Wintorst and Bontemps talk about that, does anything they said surprise you? No, nothing they said surprises me, but I might surprise you by saying I disagree with Tim. I do too. And I, I, I don't trade him now. Now, where Tim's bringing this from, like I had, I've had, I had a pretty prominent NBA agent after the season, say the exact same thing. Trade Donovan now. But if you trade him now, you're admitting a mistake. You're admitting that you made a mistake and trade him from the first place, and I don't think you're at that point yet. Like, the point, the part that it keeps getting missed in what I wrote and what I've said a million times is this is a really, really, really big year for the Cavs. They're not out of time. It's not too late. Like, everyone has taken what I wrote, what I'm saying, as, like, Donovan is leaving and he's gone. Now... I tend to think that's probably how it's going to end, but there's still time to turn this. You have this season. I've said it a hundred times. This is a massively important season for the Cavs in terms of the Donovan conversation and his future. You have the opportunity. I would put Boston and Milwaukee ahead of them, and that's it in the East. I said the same thing last year, and Philly wound up being better than the Cavs. But Boston and Milwaukee are ahead of them. After that, it's pretty open in the East. 
So there's no reason that Evan Mobley can't take a leap next year and, and, and demonstrate growth. There's no reason that this team can't continue to grow. It's a young team with a high ceiling. I disagree with on the fact that they're more likely to lose two rounds, losing the first. They're more likely losing the first round than win two. I disagree with that. I, I don't know why we would cap that right now. They had they were the most efficient shooting team probably of all the top teams. They addressed that. They've got shooting now. They've addressed their biggest need at the three with Max Drews. He's not a superstar. They don't need him to be a superstar. Yang in the corner, like that's exactly what they needed—a corner shooter. So let's let this play out. Let's give this this year and see how it goes. It may ultimately come down to that's exactly how this goes, and they're going to have to trade him next year. I think it's rash to do it now. Um, you know, I, we talked about it before, but the timing may not have been perfect on Donovan. Like I would rather them add him to this team now with an extra year on the contract, but that's not how this goes. Like you don't know when these guys are going to become available. You got to jump when they, when they have, when you have the opportunity, would you rather have Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Beal this summer? Now the price on Beal would have been lower, but I would take Donovan Mitchell on this team before Bradley Beal, right? And, and that, that was the big name that was available this summer was Bradley Beal. I'd rather have Donovan Mitchell and yeah, like they've, they've mortgaged their future to get him, and they're going to have a lot of, hard conversations if this year doesn't go right, but we still have this season and there's a lot at stake for this season, but there's plenty of time here. If this team reaches the conference finals, if the arrow is pointing up, you very likely may be able to have a conversation with Donovan at that point and extend him at that point where he's all in for another couple of years, but there's just a lot right on this year. That's the only point I try to make in this whole thing. You may get to the point after the season that you have to trade Donovan. I think that's probably how it's going to go, but there's still a lot of time to change that. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> let's start backwards and go, move our way back. I think, to me, I go back a couple of years later, and this just hit me while they were talking about it, and you were talking, and I was just going through my mind. I mean, I go back to Toronto a couple of years ago when they had Kawhi Leonard, right? Mm-hmm. They make the deal for Kawhi Leonard. Um, they know he's going to be a, you know, I think it was, a, you know, they know he's going to this be last, a, year. Like, last year. It's a one-year rental. One-year rental. And they, they, they go back, they go and win a championship, right? You got Kyle Lowry. Um, they just played lights out. He looked like he fit. They loved him there. The crowd was exciting. Everything was beautiful. It, it was just like, if you want to talk about all the things that, that, that a player should want, right? They look like they have stability. They look like they got a great fan base. They look like they're a winner. You just beat the Warriors with KD. Granted, they were injured. And guess what? He still left. Yeah. To me, that set a precedent. Even if Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs win a championship next year, that'd be great. Love it. It's even more likely that he's going to leave. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Because... He, he has a ring. He's got the ring. He can say he did what he, he I came did to do. what I came to do. Now I'm going to turn. He didn't come here. They sent him they here. Sent, like, he had no choice in the matter. At that point in time, you already reached the mountain, and now he's Kyrie Irving. Not yeah. to a point. Yeah. Like, he's not going to do it like Kyrie did it. But but we, we, we hear Wendy say it. He says, like, look, man, he's, 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 his, his dad works in the front office. He knows how to talk in front of the media. He's not going to give you anything. He's not going to give you a rock the boat and make you think anything. He is very good at his job in terms of he's he, he does it in a way where he doesn't alienate fans. And he can also always say, look who I am as a player. They yeah. traded me here. I came and I did gave my best. We won a championship. 
Now I'd, I would like to go do something for myself that I've always wanted to do. And you know what? If he wins a championship, good, and good buddy. We'll, no, pa- we'll help you pack, and not in a bad way, but right. in a thank you. No one is looking at Toronto like they made a mistake right. trading DeMar DeRozan That's for exactly right. Kawhi Leonard. And we have to, as a collective society, there is no loyalty in sports. Stop pretending to believe that there's any loyalty from player to team That's right. or team to player. Look at what's happening in Portland right now. Dame Lillard's been in Portland for 11 years. He's given everything to that franchise. His heart and soul has been through a ton of ups and downs, more downs than ups. They've went to the Western Conference Finals once. He just re-signed his second two-year max extension. Then three months later, he's like, hey, actually, I don't, I don't want to be here. I want to go to Miami. Not like, hey, this just didn't work. No, I want to go to this one specific team that doesn't have the requisite assets to actually acquire me, but I don't really care. You do right by me because that's what I want. Stop pretending and lying to yourself that just because a player says he loves a certain city or says he's happy to be here, that he's actually happy to be there. Right. That could change like this for any number of circumstances. Now, back to the Cavs and Mitchell in particular. All you can do as a general manager and a team if you don't have a guy like LeBron. And the Cavs don't have a guy like LeBron. Correct. I'm just using him as an example. It could be any, it could be a Giannis, it could be a Jokic. Is you want to be in the conversation. Do you have a roster that on the opening night of the season, you are in the conversation to be part of that championship conversation? Do you want to be in line to get into that championship club? And I look at this Cavs roster, and this is absolutely a roster with Donovan Mitchell, with the addition of Struess, Niang, the other guys. They're the only team in the league with four all-stars under the age of 26. The only team in the league. Yeah. They're in that championship conversation. To Tim's point, or against Tim's point, there's a 0.0% chance you trade your best player when you are in that conversation, unless the team's willing to give you the grandest of all halls in the history of NBA trades. And with the new second tax statement, which we just talked about with Jalen Brown, I don't know how in a million years a team's ever going to give up that many assets for one single player again. It's not financially viable, and you're giving up too many assets that you need to build out the back end of your roster. So the hell no. I'm not trading Donovan Mitchell right now, and I don't think the difference in trading now versus next summer, if that's what it comes to, is that drastically different in the, in the gauge of what you're getting back. Is it exactly the same? No, you probably get a little more now, or yeah. you definitely would get a little more now. Yeah. But I don't think we're looking at a 50% drop-off in the return on investment for what you get for Donovan Mitchell trading him tomorrow as opposed to next summer. The only thing I disagree with you on is I think you're going to see these trades happen more and more and more and more and more and more. But to the the return that you got for a Kevin Durant or for a Donovan Mitchell in the first place. But here's why, because I think you're getting, and like, I'm going to get, people are going to be furious when I say this, but even if Donovan signs the extension, the conversation still still doesn't go away. Yeah. Because of what you just said about Dame, like he signs it and and then they trade. Donovan signed in Utah, they traded him a year later. So the norm now has, like, I think Jalen Brown's not going to be in Boston for five. There, Probably not. Probably chances not. are more than a 50% chance he does not play his five-year extension in Boston. So I think we talked about we this did. on the show. We did. About the cap space thing. Cap space isn't worth what it once was no. in the NBA. The new way to do this is these guys stay in their cities because there's so much money there, and it makes so much financial sense for them to sign with their existing team. So they're going to sign that extension, and then you trade them a year later. Or – Six, you have to wait. You trade him a year later, and the guy gets his money, and the team recoups some assets for him. So I think these types, because we've seen it, we've seen the Cavs send give Utah control of their draft for five years in a row. We've seen Houston. uh, who else? The Nets. I mean, with the Phoenix. Nets with Fe- yeah, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. My only counter to that though is now with the second tax apron, you can only have so many of these guys on your roster, and these second and late round picks. 
if you're above that second, you can't sign buyout guys. You can't use the full mid-level exception. So to bring in multiple guys making that much money, yeah. I, I think it's going to be so hard. So the return on investment, I say return on investment, but return you're getting in a trade for those guys, I just don't ever think will be at the same level of two young guys and five or six picks. I just think all the returns are going to be diminished to fit into that second apron kind of threshold. When the new TV deal kicks in, I'll be curious to see. I mean, it's just going to be another landmine. Yeah. yeah. So, like, when you're talking second apron, I know we're kind of getting in the weeds a little bit on CBA for people who don't follow the NBA closely, but, like, Joe Lacob can pay any tax that's out there. Fair. Dan Gilbert Fair. can pay any tax that's out there. Jimmy Haslam and the Bucks can pay any tax that's out there. So there are uh, – Steve Ballmer. So there is a few teams that I think will – but right now, that's why I said earlier, I'm curious to see who's going to pay this second tax. But I, I would put the Celtics owners in that group, too. They could pay the second tax. It's just a matter of, like, getting their bearings, I think, is what I'm, yeah. where I'm going with this. And what do the numbers really look yeah. like when the new money to kicks in? They're trying to figure out what the meta is. Like, okay, what is, like, all right, what's the... Like, how does this thing, like, remember back in the day when people would, when buyouts, not buyouts, but amnesty was out yep. there, and people was just like, all right, you just, a lot of these people that you gave big deals to, you could just say, oh, that doesn't count anymore. Like, tax, tax write-off. Yeah, I just, I think they don't figure out the way to do it. I, I think, the, I think the big thing that I take away from this is, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is going to be here long term. I think a lot of people knew that, but um, if you're the Cavs, you just, you keep them this year. You keep him next year. You hope you win a championship in those years. And if you do get to the finals and you do have to let him go or whatever the case may be, at least you went to the finals. Like, you know, you tried it. It yeah. didn't work. At least you got there. And then you got to tear it down a little bit and try to find out. Or hopefully you got some people that are stepping up that can take that position. Or you got some guys within that you're developing that can help you out. Or go get out of the free agent get a free agent that, you know, you may trade for somebody because you do have the cap space once, once Donovan Mitchell isn't here. So that's the way I look at it. When you look at the Eastern Conference as a whole, I, I think you look at Milwaukee and Boston as the two top teams, right? Yep, yep. After that... You can make an argument, and, and I'll, I'll do it right now if we want, but I think the Cavs are the third best team on paper heading into this season in the East. And I don't think the gap between them and one and two is all that significant. I, I really don't. There's so many questions with Milwaukee. Chris Middleton is old, getting older, and continually hurt. Brooke Lopez, at some point, that dude's been in the league forever. At some point, he can't still be a 43% <laughs> shooter at seven foot and the league's best rim protector. Boston, is Missoula a good head coach? Can Tatum and Jalen Brown coexist? Now that Brown is the highest paid player in the NBA, is he going to try to become the alpha dog on the court when in reality it should be Tatum's spot to be mm -hmm. the alpha dog? Who's their point guard? How are they going to replace Marcus Smart? Is Porzingis better? Like Those two teams that we look at ahead of the Cavs, I actually think have more question marks entering the season than Cleveland does. They're just a little more proven. So the Cavs are right in that threshold to be a top-tier contender in the Eastern Conference. And when you are in that situation, a few things have to just break your way to make a deep playoff run. And if that happens to what Jason said earlier, there's no reason Donovan Mitchell is going to be banging on Kobe Altman's door saying, I need out. You only, you only bang and say, I need out when the situation is not good. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean he won't ask or that those discussions and that situation may not unfold that way. But there's also an alternate universe and a realistic chance. I say alternate, but I think a better than 50% chance the Cavs are in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. 
and they're gonna have to have a conversation with Donovan saying, hey, we did what we could do to make you happy. If you don't wanna be here, that's up to you. We can't make you stay. We'll help you find a, a facilitate some sort of trade. But there's only so much the Cavs can do to get him to stay, and I think they've done all the right moves to set themselves up to be in that position. Except for find a coach, not play. <laughs> I mean, for all we know, Donovan was banging on the door saying, hey, JB's the right guy. Keep JB. There's pressure on everybody yeah. in we that organization. We gonna JB see. Included. Or we gonna think? see. I thought that was a great segment, man. Maybe we can get more into that tomorrow night on um, Behind the Glass. I want to take this time to thank everybody who's been supporting me, Mike, and Anthony on our new podcast, Behind the Glass, that you can see once a week. Uh, we come bring you a one-hour power hour of, you know, some of the hot topics going on. Last week, we had about 165 people that maintained throughout the show. Well, I think we did, what, 3.8 thousand views. It's up to like five and a half. It's up to like five and a half. Oh, sorry, 5.2. Sorry yeah. about that. So uh, continue to support it as this podcast grows. Man, we have a lot of fun doing it. It's real laid back. And then we actually take you behind the glass with some personal conversations and things like that. So I think it's pretty cool. And Kai tease one more thing tomorrow, Earl. Go ahead. We went down to uh, Columbus. We mic'd up Tyvis for a softball event. Oh, yeah. Let's just say we're unveiling something new tomorrow that y'all have never seen before. There are video effects. There's a little black and white. There's some dramatic music. And it might be the dumbest shit I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I also promise it's going to make you laugh. And you'll see Director Steve in a way you've never seen Director Steve oh, before. Oh, I can't wait for this. In a feature oh, I'm in times. tomorrow. You are here tomorrow. Right. Oh, yeah. You're going to love this. It is, it is, it is quite something. Speaking of Director Steve, uh, not Director Steve, EP Steve. Sorry about that. He asked about what time. So we're going live, what, 7.15 tomorrow? Yes. 7.15 tomorrow. All right, so as we move on, you know, it's been a lot of back-and-forth discussion about, you know, will the Cleveland Guardians trade Shane Bieber? And we know that won't be the case. In fact, Shane Bieber is heading to the 60-day uh, injured list in, I think, what, September? It's the earliest he can pitch again. September so 10th. I'm not going to phrase it like I phrased it in the pre-show meeting, but where the hell do the Cleveland Guardians go from here? Jason, you want to start? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have a half guess. I, it, it's 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 been a crummy year yeah. all the way around. Like it's been a bad year, and uh, Zach Meisel and I actually just penned a piece that might be up now on the Athletic. Should be going up this morning. And one of the questions was like, "What do you do if you're if you're Chris Antonetti? What do you do at the deadline?" I'm like, "I don't know." Like their inability to swing this prospects for proven starter, proven hitter trade is really what's kind of plagued this organization for a couple of years. It's forced them to make. 40-man roster decisions, and as a result of that, they've had to give up on guys like Nolan Jones and Will Benson who are thriving this year, and it all stems back to the inability to make a trade. And you can't trade Shane Bieber now. Uh, McKenzie's obviously out. I don't know if he's going to pick up the ball again before 2025. I don't know what Aaron's, trading Aaron Savali, what does that really accomplish? You know, the more I thought about it, and, you know, I think that there is some questions about his durability and I'm sure that's frustrating for the organization. But at the same time, he's going to second year of arbitration. He's, going to, he's making, I think, $3 million, two and a half or $3 million this year. That's a great deal. He's going to make 5 or $6 million next year. Where else are you going to find a starting pitcher who's getting, who, who can give you that productivity for 5 or $6 million? Unless you're getting blown away with an offer, and we're going to add even more prospects to a 40-man that already can't hold them. I just don't know that you're going to get the return for Savali. 
I, I think you're better off bringing them back. We've already seen this year that Quantrill's been a disaster and injured. McKenzie, Bieber, there's always a need for starting pitching. I, I think this is probably just the stand pad at the deadline type thing. I don't know. I don't. They haven't been able to pull off a trade to this point. Obviously, you're not buying a rental right now. If you're buying someone, if you're making a buyer's trade, you're buying someone with multiple years of control. Those guys come with a higher price, but you know you want someone with at least two years left, yes. if not three. You know maybe someone who's in their first year of arbitration, and it's hard to pry those guys loose. So they're really in a tough spot. It's really just been a crummy, miserable year all the way around. It's frustrating, given the high expectations of last year. They probably guys probably overperformed a little bit last year. They had a lot of things go their way. They won a lot of one-run, two-run games that they've lost this year, and the pendulum has just sort of swung the other way. I don't know really that there's going to be there's a reason to do that much activity activity. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they trade Savali. I just don't know that there's really I don't know what you're going to get out of it. I just think you kind of stand pat this year. That answer. I don't disagree with anything you said. And it just. This is the season from hell from the Guardians. It, Literally, yeah. Everything broke right for them last year from rookies who they didn't expect to have big seasons yep. coming through time after time after time again. Every break and extra inning they were. The record in 1-1 games was unbelievable. And then this year, it's been the complete opposite. It's like they used all their good luck points last season. They yeah. have literally nothing to wring out of the good luck paper towel left because guys are getting hurt, guys aren't hitting. The guys you expected to be there who had been durable throughout their careers are now getting hurt. It, it just seems like nothing can go right, and that's the most frustrating part because they're still, even with the Twins playing better and the Guardians being – I know they lost last night, but they're not – out of it yet like they're still very much in the thick of a playoff race but there's no real way to improve this team and there's no real way to sell it because you're you have nothing to sell it they're in it they're stuck in limbo and being limbo's being in limbo is the worst thing you can be in sports either yeah. be good or bad being just average is the worst thing you can be the guardians are the equivalent of a lot of americans who work paycheck to paycheck um they don't do something in their career of choice it's just a job but they have kids and they have bills and they got to keep going to work. And, and so basically you live this existence where you're just skating through life. You're not really living life to the fullest. You can't go on many vacations. You can't plan anything around your little small paycheck, but at the same time, you can't quit your job because you got a kid, you got, you got responsibilities. So what ends up happening is you, you just existing. You're just there. And that's just the guardians are a team who have no room for error. Like, for them to play well, for them to be in contention, true contention, not making the playoffs and doing something in the wild card or maybe winning the first-round game, they need multiple things to happen right. You have McKenzie that, that's not going to play uh, rest of the year probably. Bieber, who looks like he's now on the 60-day, he looks like he's up out of here, or, or the most of the season that's meaningful. And so now you depend on young pitchers and you know what happens with young pitchers. But at the same time, when you bring up three young pitchers at the same time, same place, the same time, now they got them on pitch counts for the year. You better guarantee that they got a, a total number of pitches. Williams, Logan and Bybee are going to play and they I wouldn't even be surprised if they even did make a, a really a playoff run that they would still shut those guys down. Yeah. And so you don't have the availability of any veterans. They'll shut, they're sh going to have to shut down their best players, even if they get there. And they just don't have the, the, a major league. They're not a major league hitting team. The, the Guardians are a 
triple A style team. Like they, they just don't have power at the places you need to have power. And it's frustrating because you see it in games. The Guardians can be ahead the whole game, playing well, pitching well, everything looks good. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up, two run home run, three run home run, you lose them. It's just difficult for them to consistently sustain wins, put long games together. And I just think that's just part of them being who they are. And this year, um, with the people hurt, it's going to be too hard to call back. Yeah, Earl asked the question, where do they go from here? I don't have a definitive answer, but, but here's my guess. A, you have to rely on the young guys more than ever. And I know that these are the future of the organization, at least the next five, six years, so they're not going to completely throw their arms out, but they kind of have to. They don't have a ton of other options. Do you know Tanner Bobby's second on this team in innings pitch this year? That's crazy. And Logan Allen's third. <laughs> two He's guys, got the minors. Two guys. Allen's bounced back and forth, but those are two guys who didn't start the season on the major league or in the major league rotation. Second and third. Savali's fifth. Savali's missed time. Mm -hmm. Bieber's first, and now he's out. Mm -hmm. And then Quantrill also out. So that's your top five guys in innings pitch this year. You have to rely on Gavin Williams to be, like tomorrow, the pitcher they hope he could be in two years. You have to hope Tanner Bybee tomorrow is the pitcher they hope he could be in two years. Logan Allen, and all three of those guys, by the way, have been pretty damn good. They all have sub-four ERAs, including Savali, if you want to add, who has a sub-three ERA. Those guys have to sustain that level of success which, for the top three at least, we've never seen before because it's their first season in the majors. But to me, what has to happen is, and it's, I, I would not bet on this happening, but it's the bats have to wake up. You obviously don't have the horses in the rotation right now to sustain a playoff push. It comes down to this offense, and can guys like Quan, like Jimenez, like Josh Bell find that offensive spark that we had hoped they'd have from the get-go that they haven't had thus far and rejuvenate this offensive attack, which right now ranks 25th in Major League Baseball with 4.2 runs per game. What's up, bro? All right, so to, to, to the point of everything you said, because I really agree with it, uh, I was going to make this point yesterday, and I didn't check the numbers after the game. Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but Quan was something like 15 for 39 with two home runs He's and only hot. one strikeout uh, after the All-Star break. So clearly his bat is waking up. And I think that you can afford to have some more, you know, bats come to life and maybe we'll be okay. You know, we're four games now behind the Minnesota Twins. It seems like they're getting hot, and yet we couldn't even beat the damn Royals yesterday. So outside of the bats waking up, if we're going to stand packed, is there anything that we can do to try to, like, counteract the injuries and the amount of injuries we had to the starting pitcher? to where we are not pitching eight guys out of the bullpen every game? Well, the bullpen's been a disaster, too. I mean, Klaase's been okay. His numbers are great, but, you know, if you watch him pitch every day, he hasn't been the same guy. And who, who do you trust outside of Klaase coming out of the bullpen? Like, you know, my, maybe it's time to bring Karinczak back, and, you know, I get it. But he hasn't walked – I think he's walked two guys in the month of July good. in Columbus. So it might be time to give him another look. But there's just – there's just too many holes in the dam. And, and you know, Fran Mill Bell is hitting better. I have to give him credit. I was looking at some of the numbers yesterday, and he is better than I thought he was. I still am so frustrated with how he has gone. Naylor has been terrific. Uh, Quan has been better. So the offense might be figuring itself out. It's by no means, you know, murderer's row. But it's it, some guys are finally starting around into form a little bit. But the, the injuries to the rotation have just been so devastating. You know, I, I think we'll probably have clarity on McKenzie sooner than later. Um, I thought actually we'd have it by now. 
and hopefully within the next week or two, you know, we're getting to the point of he's going to have to make a decision here because if he does have to have Tommy John, then obviously you don't want it to impact the start of 2025. So I would think in the next couple of weeks here, you're going to hear some news one way or the other, maybe probably hopefully within the next two weeks on the McKenzie decision. But if McKenzie has surgery, what's your rotation for next year look like? You know, if, if Bieber's not here, they're probably going to trade Shane this winter. I mean, you're counting on Gavin Williams, Bybee, Logan Allen to maybe hold the top three spots. You know, Quantrill, is it Savali? Is it Xavier Curry? Like, who's – I don't know. Like, suddenly, your rotation for next year – A lot of question marks. There are a lot of questions. And so. I'll, I'll tell you what, in quiet is kept, Jose Ramirez will be 31 in, in coming up here. Yeah, b- baseball age a little different, though. But still, you're right. I mean, he's 31. And he's not having a particularly good year. Actually, it, he's on pace for one of his worst years. Um, not going to say that he's going to fall off a cliff, but my, my, I guess my apprehensiveness about the, the future of the roster is we've always been able to say, oh, at least we got Jose. We got Jose. At least we got that. He's getting older. I mean, at some point in time, do we go back and look at this like, man, we wasted a prime, the prime of his career, well, and now he might be declining a little I'm bit? I'm glad you went there because I was thinking earlier in our conversation, like we talk about the, the clock holding over the Cavs and what an important year this is for Donovan. We talk about the clock with the Browns and what a huge year this is, not only for them and for Kevin, but – the Miles discussion, the Nick Chubb discussion, like this whole thing could unravel if this thing goes sideways. We're for getting there in a little bit, by the way. With the Browns? Yeah, we're going to get there in a sec. Well, I don't feel the Guardians are in that same category because, I mean, listen, you never want to have a wasted year ever in any sport. It, it's, it's never a good thing. But the urgency doesn't there. I mean, Jose, I wouldn't say this is a terrible year for Jose. I would say that he's there. He's in the three-hole to drive in runs, and the guys hitting one and two haven't done their jobs. He hasn't had a lot yeah. of – opportunities he still leads the team in war by quite a bit he's still over a a one win higher than anybody else on the team in war he's still terrific defensively at third I hear what you're saying about age wise but I don't think we're at that point where he's going to fall off a cliff so if there is a team in town that can afford to have a punt season it is the Guardians as opposed to the other two teams doesn't take away from the frustration at all it's still incredibly aggravating to go through but I don't get it's not like Frankie a couple of years ago going in the last year of his contract and what are you going to do? Like that sense of urgency of we're going to, we're on the verge of losing one of our best players. It's just, it is what it is. They've got to figure this out though. They've got to figure out the 40 man. They've got to find a way to make a trade. They've got to find a way to unclog some of these spots because again, that roster jam is what I think has cost them Nolan Jones and Will Benson and some of these other yeah. guys because they just don't have room to keep everybody. You, well, you yeah. just said something that sparked a thought to me. Maybe part of the reason of why this season's been so frustrating to the viewer, to the fans, to us, is for the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years since Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff kind of took over the baseball decision-making process. I don't want to say they've been flawless. They get more right than wrong. They've had so many more correct yes. decisions than incorrect decisions. Yes. And this year, for whatever reason, maybe, like I said, I, I use the good luck towel earlier maybe it's just uh you know you go all in at some point and eventually regression your luck runs to the out. mean man everything they've done right in the past it's gone contrary to that this year the Zanino signing yeah the bell signing yeah putting your trust in in Bieber and McKenzie to stay healthy which I don't fault them for it just it hasn't worked letting go of Benson letting go of Nolan Jones for other guys who haven't produced yet 
they have built up such a cachet of good karma and correct decisions that now this year when it's – I don't want to say crumble. That's not the right way to phrase it, but that it's all not gone exactly how they thought it would for the first time in a decade, it's like hard to accept that yeah. because for the last 10 years, they've been so good at making the right decisions, and now – obviously one year is not going to completely throw them off, and I'll see you in one second, but now that – it's not working. It's like, why not? And I've had why com- not? and I've had conversations with them in the past about like with the organization about you guys nail everything. How do you do this? Like you always get it right. And the people in the organization will tell you, hey, we don't have anything. We don't have it all figured out. Like pump the brakes on that. We make mistakes too. We still get things wrong. But it just feels like they hit so often when they do make mistakes. It does. It's like, wow, how did you miss? You don't miss anything. How did you yeah. miss that? They are human. They are they are infallible, and they have made mistakes this year, and and it's just it doesn't happen very often. But when it does, it's glaring. They're like Earl. When Earl sends a rundown, you expect it to be flawless. And <laughs> one day he sends out a rundown with a topic, you're like, eh, I don't love that. You're like, Earl, what the hell, man? So what's up? <laughs> well, new information was uh, presented to me late last night, so I had to make an executive decision to change that rundown up. But I, I'm listening to you all's conversation, and I don't know if I say. I can agree with the fact that they made a mistake. I just didn't. I just think it's a situation to where it didn't work out. I think every move that they made in the offseason was the right move. You attempted to add a power to the to the lineup, right? You attempted to, you know, add depth wherever you needed to add depth. And I look at it like, you know, we talk about guys who didn't pan out that you signed, but what about guys like Oscar Gonzalez? I, re- I remember me and you used to have mm-hmm. the conversation about him and Will Brennan, right? Or Gabriel Ayers, a guy that I've learned so much about before the season started from you all. These are just an example of guys that I think they were banking on taking the next step, and they just didn't do it. And I I believe, just from a casual standpoint, that Chris Antonetti always has a plan. And because things have worked out the way that they have more often than not, that you know he didn't have to go to a contingency plan. But I'm wondering, is there any contingency plan that you can have for what's currently going on right now? What's that? I, before, I can I say one thing before ahead. I answer that? I think you're right that we all like the moves of Zanino and Bell in the offseason. Like, we all thought that was the right move. I'm calling them a mistake now, especially the Zanino one. They DFA'd him. So, like, they identified a need. He just wasn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. So, I think we can't call that a mistake. Bell, he could turn it around. But, like, as of today, right intention, bad result is still a mistake. So, I, I see what Earl's trying to say, but I do think we can say pretty – confidently that Zanino was a mistake. They could use that money elsewhere, even if the, the idea was right. And two, some of the guys that they've entrusted this year to be key contributors, like an Arius, just hasn't been good. <laughs> just hasn't know. been good, and guys that they've let go instead have been in, granted, not a ton of uh, plate appearances, so it's a small sample size, but those guys have been objectively better than some of the guys they kept on. So when I say so, mistake, that's kind of what I lean towards more than criticizing them for the decisions that they made to bring in those There's two glaring mistakes. One of them they continue to make. Like, Oscar Gonzalez played, what, 25 games? Something like that? And he's still... a lot, yeah. And he was buried... He's still buried in the minors. He's an opera... And and I'm I'm like Jason. Look, look, I don't know what he did. I don't know if he sent a bad email to somebody. I don't (laughs) know if he ate too many turkey sandwiches in a clubhouse or what happened. It doesn't look like they like the guy. They just don't like him. I'm just like, sometimes let's be clear. 
Sometimes people don't get along with somebody because there's no reason you have a lack of power at your in your outfield, and this guy was able to give you a, be a sense of power, a young guy with a bat, and you don't play him because he's undisciplined at the plate. Well, listen, I, there's a bunch of disciplined guys that still can't hit. <laughs> Miles Straw, that's the next one. Miles Straw is the second. I, it's, it's inexplicable. They are now looking like they're platooning him back and forth, where he's not starting every day. Yeah. But but there and you gave him a contract. You gave him money. Yeah. I thought they I thought they took way too long to bring Bo Naylor up. Um, he was hitting the ball well and they didn't bring him up. Um, so for me, there are glaring things that they've done where it just seems like they're really stubborn and they never seem to be a stubborn organization. They always seem to be like level headed and always had a plan to what they was going to do, whether you agree with it or not. But some of the moves this year. It just baffles me as to why you're not moving. These are clear, easy moves. These ain't like three-dimensional chess. These are checker moves. You don't have to be bull and have 17 different fantasy baseball rosters and know every yeah. single player in the league to see that some guys aren't performing to the level that they should be to be an everyday starter. But I would also say in their defense, like everyone was screaming for Bo Naylor. Bo Naylor is sitting under 200. Yeah. Like – there's a reason. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. I think you're seeing why he was in the minors as long as he was. And I understand. But they like, got to play him at some point, right? Yes, yes. But at the, at the time, you know, they're trying to win a division. And I think you're trying to give Zanino every opportunity. I'm just saying, like, it hasn't. It's not like Naylor's come up here and set the world on fire. Where if he was up here hitting 350, I think you can scream, "Why did you leave him in the minors this long?" He's hitting, I think, like a buck 90. So like he's showing you why he was in the minors as long as he was because he's not a finished product, and hopefully he gets there at some point. But I mean, he just it's I'd, been it's been a slow process. I'd rather play all young dudes. I'd rather play Gavin Williams, Bybee. Uh, Allen, uh, bring up George Valera, bring, bring them all up. I, I'd rather see them than, than the old dudes because at least you could tell, at least I could go to the game and you admit it to me. Well, look, what we're trying to do is a youth movement. We're giving our guys opportunities to win positions out here, and at least we'll have some hope. Like, hey, next year we'll be good. We, we can see what we're talking about. And I think in a perfect world, if the Guardians were where they were today in any other division of baseball, they would have already done that. Yeah, but the issue is they're four games out of first place. The Twins have been as inconsistent as the Guardians. They've had a little better luck in one-run games. But essentially, they're, they're four games back. They're one week, one good weekend away from being half a game out of first place. But do and that's why you can't fully punt. But it, it, but I, what I'm saying is I don't believe that with their young players, it's a full punt. I just think their young players might be their best players. 
And, and that's fair, too. And obviously, with two minutes left, we can't fully get into this conversation. But, Jason, at what point in the season, and we may have already passed that threshold, do you start playing for next year as opposed to going all in for this year? Well, you're going to – development override – Today is what, the 25th? Yeah. You're going to know in a week. Well, no, because no. if Ahmed Rosario gets moved for a single-A prospect or for a reliever or whatever, and you free up shortstop, now you can play Arias every day or Rokio or Tyler Freeman. Maybe move Jimenez to short and play Freeman. Uh, you know, you're, if they do move Savali, you know, I don't know who you're going to bring up beyond him. You know, Joey Cantillo, I don't think is quite ready yet, but he's another name to keep in mind. But I, I, I would like to see them move off Rosario sort of to your point. Open that spot up because if you don't figure this out now, it's going to bleed into next year. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to start getting answers, particularly at shortstop. You'd like to know Oscar Gonzalez. Is he a yes or a no? You want to get a look at George Valera. Is he a yes or a no? Because you have hard decisions to make. I would like to see Quan be the center fielder next year and you come up with two corner bats, whether by trade, free agency, whatever. You've got to have two guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark playing right field and left field next year. One question I'll send it to Earl, but and you may not know this, you may, you may know the guy they drafted in the first round last year, Chase DeLauder, yeah. out of James Madison, has been killing it with Lake County. I know Lake County is a far way away from the majors, but is that a guy, if he continues to swing a hot bat, we could see in the majors next year? No, I think, still too see, far away? I think it's too far away okay. to go from single A, I, I mean, maybe, maybe by September next year, August, September. But, but not a guy we, you could – No, could, John Kenzie Noel, I think, is a guy probably ahead of him in terms of another minor league bat maybe that you would see. He was a guy that they protected over Oscar. So that kind of tells you he was, a, he was an A-ball, and they protected him over Oscar Gonzalez a couple of years ago when they really were in that pinch. Yeah. Uh, so that, that would be the name that I would watch before DeLauder. DeLauder is, I don't know if you guys have seen his stats. And once again, it's the Lake County captains. It's A-ball. Take everything with a grain of salt. The dude can rake. Yeah. He's hitting like 389 in, in 15 games now with a couple homers. And he looks like he was a first-round pick, so obviously high, high expectations. But he looks like a guy who will eventually swing a major league bat. I mean, he could be in double-A by the end of the year, start next year in double-A. Make you know, his way up. But not a guy you can count up. on heading into Not in season. April. Fair. You're not going to count on him in April. Fair. What's up, Earl? If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.